you are missing one key element. It does make you faster because you feel faster. Ah, ah placebo Can't effect. I with that. Yeah. Placebo effect. I wouldn't know because I've never done it in all my years of cycle. Neither have I. You're listening to Attack the Pod. A podcast with news, views, and how-tos inspired by Amsterdam's biggest, biggest best, best, and most international triathlon and cycling club with your hosts, Neil and Matt. So here we are, podcast number three, Attack the Pod. I'm myself, Neil, and Matt. Hello. And we've got Tim with us. Hey, hey. And Tim is joining us because the, the theme today, we're going to talk about cycling. And Tim is a resident cycling expert. We're going to test him on that as the podcast goes on, see how well he does. In this episode, what, what we're going to do, talk about cycling, talk about different disciplines of cycling. We're going to talk about the Tour de France. we got some questions in about cycling too. We've got a load of questions. Hopefully I've got them all lined up properly. And that just reminded me, I'd never printed off some other questions, but that's okay. And that's it. I think we've got more than enough. We, we tried to stick to an hour, but we never managed to stick that we always go over even with some so if you've started a like a run uh, and you're, you're planning a one hour run we're sorry well just what you should do is make the run longer right exactly <laughs> you've got to, i think you should commit now to run until we finish <laughs> okay so let, let's do this tim tell us other than being tim Tell us something about yourself. Where are you from and how long have you been in Amsterdam? I roughly came to Amsterdam maybe three years ago, actually. Late August 2017, I got here. But that was already my second time living here. So been a couple of months here in the past, uh, in the summer when I was in college. And yeah, when I graduated, I said, screw it, let's just go back for good. You loved it that much? Liked it a lot. Yeah, it's always been a lot of fun here. Uh, I was always here in the summer, so winter and spring weather has been a bit of a learning experience. Is this your first winter or no. is this going to be? No. It's going to be my third winter now, but right. uh, yeah, never going to get used to it, to be honest. <laughs> but then <laughs> it can't be that different from where you're from. No, and that's the bad thing about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Should have gone somewhere warmer. I uh, came from Ireland. Uh, yeah, what, so I grew which, up there. Which uh, city was? Uh, Cork, second oh, okay. city. Um, yeah, a lot of people study there from around the world, so you do get to yeah. meet a lot of people there. Small town though, so you do get bored of it after a while too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was the same. I'm from a, I'm from a small town called yeah. Falkirk. Oh yeah. Yeah, shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm here. I was going to say sorry to any uh, Falkirkians, but like, I we don't, don't have any. Maybe they are listening or my friends because I've said, listen to the podcast. Listen, we get a mention. <laughs> okay, Tim. So how long have you been a member of Attack? And when did you first find out about Attack? Um, I think I joined Attack's winter 2018. Uh, or maybe early spring 2019. I think probably like most people, I found it actually searching for road, si- road cycling routes on Google. Yeah, I found that that evergreen article showing a few of the routes around on the attack site and was like, hadn't actually even entertained the notion of joining a club before that. But yeah, it looked great. It looked like a good time. It seems to be what drives most, uh, a yep. lot of people to the website is people searching for routes. So maybe we need to add some more routes to the yeah, some suggestions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so and tell us a little bit about your history of cycling. Pretty much been on a bike as long as I can remember. When I was still like a kid growing up in Cork, I went from BMXing a bit to BMXing a lot. Um, so that was like pretty much my life for the last five years probably of being in school. Didn't cycle that much for a couple of years then when I was studying and then picked up road cycling when I moved to Dublin and haven't really got off it since. Uh, just gradually getting more and more involved, really. And so, yeah, still love it. So, yeah, since I came here, it's been more and more just trying to train and, and trying to get ready to, to do more racing and, and doing stuff like cyclocross and a few triathlons on the side. What's your like, proudest moment on two wheels? 
Good question. I'd probably say that I really enjoyed the first time that I met uh, Roderick actually was uh, pretty much at the finish line going past him in one of the, uh, this race in Luxembourg. I can't remember the name of it now, but it's like an amateur championships. So yeah, I was like, oh, there's another attack jersey. And uh, that race was super, super hard. It was a lot of um, people who were ex-pros or that kind of thing. So just to get through that race and, and come like somewhere in the mid pack was actually a great experience. Nice. So we've got some quick fire questions. Yeah, I'm going to do some quick fire questions, right? So I'm going to say something and it might be a choice or it might just be a word. I want you to give me the first thing that, that comes to your mind, right? Yeah, go Clear. for it. <laughs> you look worried here. Right, heart rate monitor. Necessary. Mountain bikers. Pretty cool. Oh, that's good. <laughs> you can swear, it's okay. <laughs> Shaved legs. Not for me. Amsterdam or Rotterdam? Amsterdam. Triathletes. Friends of mine. <laughs> yeah, nicely done. <laughs> Apple pie. Uh, irreplaceable. Bianchi or Canyon? Bianchi. Lance Armstrong. Scapegoat. <laughs> hey! Oh, oh, this is good. I'm controversial, I like it. I'm liking this. There's more on, more on that later on. Well, that was it. We thought we'd let you off pretty easy with that, but we thought that'd be Appreciate a good way it. for the listeners to get to hear, uh, hear a bit about you. Coming on to some shout outs. I've had a lot of podcast feedback. It's been good. No one's given us some bad feedback yet. Not to our faces. <laughs> no, no, not to our faces, but um, I'm sure that will happen at some point. <laughs> Maybe after tonight's podcast. So Lewis, uh, who runs the East running session, he loved it, listens to it at his work. Um, so a shout out to him and to his uh, Tuesday evening run sessions. They're, they're good. Pretty hard. Killer uh, last night for yeah, me. Yeah, this week's was a... Uh, oh, I'm still feeling it. <laughs> yeah. Um, Roderick, he really enjoyed it. Um, so yeah, if you've got any, any feedback, any questions, just get in touch with us via WhatsApp, Instagram, Facebook, all the usual channels and stuff. And, uh, we'll be, we'll be glad to hear from you. Now, one thing I wanted to bring up, I'm going to get slated for this, but I thought I'm going to abuse my position here as being able to say what I want and people <laughs> are going to have to listen, right? This is my opinion. This is not necessarily the opinion of others, but WhatsApp, right? Jan, happy birthday to you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what Jan is. There's probably a few Jans in the group, but there's been happy birthday messages on the WhatsApp group for Jan. It took about, over. About 300 messages. And every time I'm thinking, oh, great, someone's posted in the group. It's going to be something, you know, a new event's been opened. Nah, it was happy birthday to Jan. And so. now I feel guilty because I haven't put Jan, happy birthday Jan because I don't want to like keep this circle of happy birthdays. So I think we should make a stand here and say happy birthday messages should not be on the WhatsApp. WhatsApp group so except for Neil's birthday yeah uh, mine of course May the 18th so make sure everyone <laughs> but for right Jan time. Jan I wanted to play this just for you anyway all jokes aside so that's the the shout outs and I think we should come on to some attack news we have uh, some kit news so I spoke to Adrian they've put an order in with the uh, kit supplier Agu A-G-U however you, you pronounce it and they're I'm an Agu Agu what do you reckon um, Agu 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 the Spanish right I think so yeah but big uh, Agu Agu <laughs> <laughs> we should well we should ask uh, Adrian yeah Spanish, right? Spanish, yeah, yes. So. They, they've put the order in and it should be received around about September and then they'll just update the stock in the shop. So you can just go into the shop, make your order and, and, and away you go. Now, they've ordered a lot more than they usually would. There's not been many events. They've got a bit of money and they thought we'll just stock up and, and make it easier for the members to get the uh, to get the gear. So that's good. 
pick ups probably on an individual basis at Adrian's work. I've done it. It's very easy. Um, he might try and sell you a three thousand euro van Moth bike, but <laughs> other than that, you can pick up your kit hoarder. So it's it great. doesn't come free with the kit. It doesn't come free with the kit, unfortunately. But for three thousand, I would be hoping the kit came free with the bike. That's true. That'd be fair. <laughs> and just this is exactly the same kit as most people already have. I think so, so it's good for new members. The same design, yeah, the same yeah. sizing, all those things. It's yeah. not just in case you're worrying that like you're not going to have the latest. Yeah, there's been no changes to to the design. No need to make changes I don't think so um so it's pretty good I, I've got I've got a classic I've got one of the very first design um long oh, collector's bib, item bib tights yeah they were too small for me <laughs> and I've kept them thinking well you know one day Neil <laughs> so if I'm saying this at this point next year you have to shoot me I've clearly not got down to the right size but yeah they've still got some of the classics the relics but um the kit order is all the the stuff that you see most people wearing it's the dark blue and it was designed by Joanna best so, fit of any kit I have actually the aero fit of the yeah. jersey is, is top class yeah, I, I really, really like it, it. Yeah. I like it in the sleeves it makes I like the shorts really as well muscular. shorts are good quality they, mm. they fit nicely and feel good but yeah the jersey's a really nice fit yeah so um, any questions sizing etc you can reach out to Adrian on WhatsApp to find him probably just start with the attack WhatsApp group that I mentioned earlier if you can see in amongst all the happy birthday messages you might see Adrian in there somewhere you can drop him a private message and, and he'll be uh, only too happy to help you Okay, so I thought it'd be good to give give the new members a shout out. So I was I was reaching out to the leadership team saying, have you got the new members' names? And, and they got them to me, thinking it would be three or four, but there's actually 21. And that's just this month, right? <laughs> that's just uh, this month. I think July as well. Okay. Um, but I mean, didn't expect that many. So I'm going to rush through all the names here because it wouldn't be fair to come up with one and not the other. So we've got... And if I slaughter your name, I'm really sorry. But we have Barbara, Yuraj, Matt, Tony, Charlotte, Philip, David, Justin, Matthew, Philippe, Joshua, Silvio, Drenthe, Oriol, Nikki, Etienne, Jesper, Pablo, Titan, Oscar, and Francesco. Welcome to Attack. What you just read, that's also the name of a Brazilian footballer. <laughs> Francesco? No, the whole thing. <laughs> so who do, what do we think these people do? If I pick one at random, like Philip. Yeah, do you think he's a runner? Philip's a runner, surely. Yeah, I'm going with a runner. I'd say he's a runner. Let, let's pick a cyclist. I would say uh, Francesco. I would say Matthew on the basis of Matthew. sharing a first name at one of the most successful current cyclists. That's true. Yeah, so, okay. I, I don't think it's him. I mean, you never know. <laughs> yeah, could be. might be could deciding be. to be a triathlete now. It's true. <laughs> when are we going to see you on the bike? Honestly, we'll see you in the bike. When are we going to see you in the swimming pool? Yeah, I have to basically relearn the front crawl. <laughs> since I started trying to do it again, I, I've developed sinky legs. It's been years since I tried to do it, and now I, I quite quickly end up pretty much upright in the pool when I start trying to do the front crawl. So, yeah, yeah I need to start from scratch with that. Did well, you- with that in mind, we've got the the new sessions are starting. The indoor swim sessions are starting from... Yeah, Mercatorbad in Mercatorbad, uh, yeah. And I think it's starting in October... Yeah, everything's been kind of arranged with the pool. Same as Tuesday night, seven o'clock. Again, it's going to be the same deal as last time, I think. So people sign up uh, via the web shop, uh, pay for the season. If not every space is taken, there'll be the opportunity to kind of go session by session. Yeah, they're really good. I mean, yeah. I, I started off them years ago and you get the whole pill to yourself for everyone from attack <laughs> not, not an individual not pill. an individual pill for each person but it's a really nice pill as well so it's not I mean there are some pills here that I wouldn't I wouldn't thank you for to, to get but it's yeah. a, a really really nice pill so I think it's usually really four or five in each lane as well so it's not too crowded everyone's doing a kind of a, a lead session yeah, so, yeah and it's coached so, yeah. it? and I can't remember what, I mean I, I was doing it years ago but the cost was nothing you're talking about five or six bucks a session which you will not get anywhere else so um Look well, out for that. Put it off for about a year already, so probably should sign up for that. You should, yeah. Bite the bullet. 
I mean, that's it. Once you're once you're in once you're in the club, you become a triathlete. Yes, <laughs> like, like it or not. <laughs> Moving on for that, try news. Where are we? Because this changes so quickly. Yeah, so <laughs> we need to get this out quickly because last time we talked about uh, Ironman World Champs and the seventy point three uh, yeah. World Champs, and I think like two days later they cancelled the what. Yeah. So um, yeah, bear in mind that this is true at the point that we are. You know, putting this podcast together. So I think in terms of the Which local is Wednesday, stuff, Wednesday, Wednesday, yeah, yeah. So in, in terms of the local stuff, it looks good yeah, at the moment. Things still seem to be on. So uh, this coming Sunday, so a few days from now, uh, probably will have happened, or the day that we release this podcast, uh, the Almira Down Triathlon, the sprint should happen. I'm signed up to enter and I haven't received any sort of uh, notice otherwise. So okay. uh, so no news is good news. Yeah. So I think it looks like it's going to happen. Lots of, uh, lots of measures in place to, you know, to split the, split the field up and to uh, keep it safe. But yeah, looks like it's likely to happen. And the same with Audekirk and Bosbarn, which are coming sort of September, October. Yeah. Two and sprint races. Oh no, sorry. Sprint, uh, sprint and Olympic is available at Audekirk. I think you can still enter. And the sprint is uh, available at the Boss Barn. Again, there are still entries available. So lots of measures in place, but, you know, racing, some racing is better than no racing. Yep. And the same is true so, so far. The 70.3 up in Horn hasn't been cancelled. That's as good as you can say. That's as much of a go ahead as we get it these days. So, yeah. uh, and so that was obviously pushed from good. earlier in the summer already. So. Yeah. Fingers crossed it happens. And then uh, that's it on the triathlon side. I don't know, on the cycling side, is there much going on? Starting to come to the end of the crit seasons now. Unfortunately, most of the kind of unique races or like once a year races, they get cancelled earlier in the year just because there are, as you can imagine, pretty high costs involved in setting it up for, for these organizations. But you do obviously have the cyclocross season picking up then in October. And same as the triathlons, I haven't heard that it's not happening, which I'm taking as a green light. So yeah. And I think like say. cyclocross, I will get on to a bit more about cyclocross later, but it's generally smaller fields, a little bit more manageable than a kind of sporty for one of the bigger races or yeah especially compared to things like Ironman which will attract people coming from abroad like yeah. it, it really is a local scene and that should mean that it's able to go ahead yeah. so there's not a whole lot of news so I also, also thought it would be kind of uh, good to, to touch base with the guys in the room to see what everyone's got planned so yeah. Neil what's uh... so I, I've been having a not in the last couple of weeks, but the last month or so, I've been a bit like, Ugh, I need something. I need something to, to... I think a lot of people are getting to that point. Yeah, I, I don't know what it was. And I was like, I need a plan. I need something. So I, I have finalized my plans. So I'm going to do two halves next year. And also leading up to something called the Rat Race, which is in Scotland. This is a coast-to-coast event. So it's from the East Coast to the West Coast. And what does that involve? So it's basically a lot of uh, mountain biking, running, and there's a little bit of kayaking, but I think it's symbolic. Although I'm saying that now, but it's at the very end, you have to kayak for one and a half kilometers, which sounds really easy, but I'm thinking, I might not be saying that after a 12, yeah. 13 hour day. Uh, the distances, I, I can't remember now. It's it's basically, I think in total, about 170 or 160 kilometers biking, which includes some mountain biking. Yeah. So a lot of hills and things uh, off-road and then about a marathon of running. 
and then that kayak at the end. So it's going to be a huge, huge challenge for me. It's not something I could do right now. So that's Sounds hoping. fun though. Yeah, I'm hoping the, the halves will help me uh, get up to fitness and then it's just a case of finishing. There is a checkpoint nine hours in and then after that nine hours, you have to do a half marathon over a mountain. So I think oh. that's what I'm aiming for. If I can make that checkpoint, then we're all good. And when's that? That's in September. September, so Scotland, so yeah. hail, snow. Oh yeah. I mean, <laughs> do you know, usually that would bother me, but I mean, I'd done an ultra marathon last year and it snowed, it was minus one the whole day and I, and I managed it. So it gave me a lot of confidence, although I wasn't winning medals and, and getting on the podium, of course. It gave me confidence I could finish even in shit weather. And in yeah. Scotland, you're pretty much guaranteed oh, yeah. shit weather. So. It's been a race that long. Yeah, it's, it's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. So that's what I'm leading up to. I mean, uh, all going well. Big challenge for me and even, you know, doing the two halves in the same year as well. But I'm looking forward to it. What about you? Yeah, so, well, I've had a weird, you know, few months. <laughs> tell was, us what your plans were and tell us what your plans now are. Okay, so I was entering Ironman Italy, which was supposed to be the beginning of September, got pushed because of weirdly, indirectly due to Kona, but actually because of local elections to the end of September. And then that's just been announced that it was cancelled. I kind of knew that was going to happen. So I, I entered a backup race uh, in Estonia, which is now a week and a half away. So it's full, that's the Ironman in Estonia. That's one of the, the halves that I'm doing next year. Yeah, hopefully, yep. I can I can check out the course. Yeah, please break do. It for you. And, I'll, I'll uh, try and beat your time, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Numbers are good in Estonia, so it's definitely going to happen. The race organizers have been organizing races, so it looks like it's on. But then the problem became how to get there. Numbers were too high here. I would have had to have quarantined for two weeks when I got there. Then flights stopped because the numbers were so high. At the moment, there's a route there and it's through Germany. And that <laughs> means I have to go basically four days earlier than I planned to. Right. But I'm taking this opportunity. Yeah. Trained all year, I won a race. Yeah, you're doing <laughs> anything to get a race. I, yeah. I think if that's cancelled, you're you're going to plan your own half Ironman event, aren't you? That's Basically, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you have a track record on that already. That's so. true. Yeah, that's, that's true. true. <laughs> it's just like a training training run for you. So hopefully, a week and a half, you'll. Yeah, uh, and then I'm thinking maybe dive into, but well, see how I could, see how I come up afterwards, but dive into the bus barn or Audekirk afterwards, just yeah. to have a, a little hit out, just yeah. to make something of you know feel like we have had something of a season. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, that's it. I haven't really thought about next year, but I've got a, a deferred in, entry to Italy to use up at some point. Which so. is also my other half uh, yeah. next year, I think. Uh, yes, yeah, so in Venice? Different, yeah. Oh, okay. This is uh, Sofia. Right. So uh, yeah. it's like Everyone's Romania. just eager to race, you know. It's yeah. just, uh, everyone's just sitting like a spring ready to... Uh, I think so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just, <laughs> just like, uh, I mean, it's great to have this time to like focus on training and do some yeah. different stuff. But at the same time, racing is what makes us sort of uh, athletes rather than people who just sit on a bike a lot, yeah, right? You yeah. know, like there's a difference there between working out and training. Kind of has the opposite effect for me. I think, you know, not having something... I lose focus, you know, so I lose focus on training. I'm just a bit like demotivated, deflated. And yeah, I think, I guess everyone has different, different yeah. ways of, uh, of how it affects them. For sure. Tim, race, racing uh, this year, next year, anything on? Yeah. First triathlon maybe? Have you ever done a triathlon? I've done two triathlons. Oh, okay. This year on the indoor trainer in the winter in, in January, February, I was staying motivated by planning out a season where I was going to be like, finally, I'm going to do quite a lot of racing this year. 
kind of caught the bug last year with, with a couple of triathlons and, and cross and then booked a bunch of races and then like, yeah, one by through, one through spring, uh, it's just like, boom, 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 refund, refund, cancel. So yeah, that, uh, a refund turned. is a bonus. A refund yeah. is a bonus, but I would, yeah. mo- I'd race to the bus stop at this point yeah. just to actually get to <laughs> do something competitive. So both you and Matt live in Iberg. Did you race to get here? Um, if we did, we didn't realize. <laughs> no, I, I was on a scooter, so I would have been cheated. Uh, yeah. yeah. Be I could have motor paced you. Yeah, but, maybe. Uh, <laughs> so what What's planned? Anything, uh, anything in the works then that you want to like, you know, all things being well, if, if racing happens again, anything that you've got your eye on? Yeah. So the one thing that wasn't canceled, it got moved is, um, a time trial in Almira. That's still on the cards for October, but it does clash with one of the races of the cross season, which is something that I am looking forward to again. So pr- most likely the only racing I'll do this year is going to be the, the Amsterdam cross competition. Maybe I'll do tri-ball span. Um, if, if it's looking like it's going to go ahead close to the day, but yeah, it's, it's all about cross this year for me. Nice. Yeah. I think that's a good transition to the next, the next part of the show. So for those, some people might not know, they just know it as attack, but actually attack is Amsterdam triathlon and cycling club. So we thought, yeah. So we thought we'd focus on the on the cycling part. There's a lot of people that just cycle in the club. And I think also to give you know the, the, a lot of triathletes find us, but also there's a there's such like a thriving cycling scene in and around the Netherlands and Belgium. So I think looking at some of the other opportunities so that you can you know get involved with all the different sort of styles of racing, all the different styles of cycling, which can really act as a great supplement or a, de- a way of mixing things up. So you're not always doing the same type of training or, you know, you're not, you're not waiting for May each year till the weather clears till you get to do a race, you know? So, so what um, are the, there, there are different parts of cycling. Talk us through some of them because some of the, some people might just know cycling as I, I, I cycle to my work and I go out my road bike at the weekend. So road cycling is the obvious one, right? I think as yeah. everyone here is probably familiar with road biking. That's what most people are doing, whether you're, training for triathlon, whether you're just a sort of weekend warrior, that's, that's probably most people's entryway. That's your Tour de France. That's that's your, yeah, that's all the, the big names are all, I tend to come from, from road cycling. When you turn on Eurosport, that's probably what you're going to be watching. Yep. Yeah. It's the only one you'll probably come across if you're not a cyclist or triathlete. Like yeah. it's a big enough sport that it kind of breaks boundaries like that. Unless the Olympics is on. Unless and, the Olympics And you see on. the track. Yeah. <laughs> And then, well, so then there's track cycling as yeah, well. And we've cycling. got, have you done any track cycling, Tim? Haven't. I'd love to, actually. Um, there is a, at least one velodrome in Amsterdam. Yeah. yeah uh, but been, it is indoor. Yeah. So it's, it yeah. It went fire a few years ago. I'm, I assume it's open now, but um, I, want a, I want a track cycling race, actually, in Edinburgh. Really? And Good the night. announcer was... Um, Chris Hoy's dad. Oh, he way. used to be. Uh, he used to be. used to be an outdoor velodrome in, in Edinburgh. It changed before the Commonwealth when they... They built the indoor track for the Commonwealth Games. But yeah, I used to go track cycling there. I think and you're I, now the most successful and well-connected cyclist in attack at that point. Successful in terms of how many disciplines? Certainly not in performance. <laughs> <laughs> well, you want to race. So yeah, I want to race. Track cycling is probably the only the only race that uh, I could be competitive in. And it's the really, really short. Like I'm very, very good at sprinting. Anything else, my uh, my size gets yeah. me down. But it was... Um, I can't remember what it was. It was uh, I think you chase each other, so you're 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 half a, a lap yeah, apart, and then pursuit. you chase it. 
well, without being the team, yeah, so individual, so, yeah. and, um, individual pursuit, and it was it was real. Good. I used to love track cycling, but and then I fell at the end of it. <laughs> I've still got the I've still got the arm warmers because it was outdoors with the holes on it, and I still wear them. They're still my favourite arm warmers. I mean, track cycling is really good. It's very you need to be very sharp. You can't. So tell us why that is. What what's different about a track cycling bike, and what's different about track cycling? Yeah, and most people don't know or see this from from watching it on television. But there's no brakes and the hub, and the reason there's no brakes is the hub is fixed so you cannot stop pedaling it's a fixie you can't stop pedaling and, and uh, also no gears no gears you don't need them um so just or, or more precisely there's one very big gear one really really big gear and that, that, i think that's why if you're very, if you're powerful you're more suited to the track which is certainly more my uh my my thing but um it's very i mean it's exciting but you can't even blink at the wrong time because if you ha- have an elbow knock or something you can cause a lot of damage and it's a lot faster it's a lot faster and it's a lot faster than it looks on, on the television as well. And so the obvious question people are going to ask if they're unfamiliar with track cycling, if there's no brakes, how do you stop? You, you stop, I was going to say you stop pedaling, but you can't, you stop applying power, I think is the way to say it. So you pedal, but you get slower, you get slower. And then so you can let the pedals down. turn rather than the, pushing through the pedals. Yeah. yeah. And, and you take yourself out the way because there could be people still going hundred percent and on the same track as you less than a meter from you. So you'll, you'll go up onto the, you know, go up the bank. And it's also deceiving. I mean, it's a very steep bank. I think it's about 45 degrees, but you don't need a lot of speed. You just need to be above a certain speed in order to to maintain that. And uh, it's confidence. Once you, like, I, I don't have a lot of it just now. If someone said, let's go on the track, I would probably shit myself, to be honest. Um, but it, once you get the confidence and you get into it, it's such a, a thrill and a buzz. And it, and it really suits me because it's all about power. Like, you can just go straight, straight at it out of the box. And after half a kilometre, a kilometre, I'm spent. But, you know, that's the, that's that's the joy of it. I've also done uh, derny racing, which is really good. So you sit behind, they call it a derny. It's like a very small motorbike and it paces That's what we're going to practice on the way back to Iberg. It's a small pacing bike. It goes on the track yeah. with you and it, there's various events. But you sit behind that and you start to build speed, build speed. It goes away and then you just go for it. And it's so much fun. But uh, again, it's, it's a very dangerous uh, part of cycling. But I, I think most it. people sort of experience like track cycling, like for every four years, right? Yeah. And sort of put, fall in love with it for, yeah. for a few days. And the then, Olympics. yeah, that's it. I loved I, it. I, loved I know it. that uh, certainly in the past, they've done beginner courses at the velodrome here. Um, so maybe get in touch with... The yeah. powers that be at the club, if uh, anyone's if interested in that, we could I maybe think, get a session. Yeah, if there's a lot of interest, I think go for it. I mean, um, and you only need a few sessions and then then you've got the confidence to to really enjoy it. So, Seems yeah. like the most intense form of cycling for sure. And also the best one if you want to have big legs because uh, yeah. track sprinters are the ones. Yeah, gonna <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's very fast. It's very fast. And okay, so other yeah. end of the spectrum basically from track cycling, I'd say is probably mountain biking, which yeah. actually you were an ex-mountain biker as well. I was. I came, through to, I came to cycling through mountain biking. So right from teenage years up until about 20, I was a mountain biker. A lot of friends that were more successful, like winning championships and stuff. Uh, that was what, I, I mean, I used to do a lot of night cycling. So you'd go out at night, couldn't see anything other than where your lights would show you. And that was the, the joy and the fun of it because you couldn't see all the danger. So in, in Scotland, we were going through, you know, along cliff edges and stuff that you just never even knew existed. And then you do it in the daytime and you're like, oh my God. <laughs> so yeah, mountain biking is, and it can be anything. It can be cross country. I mean, it doesn't need to be hammering it down downhill, you know. Yeah, there, there are is, various sort of different disciplines within mountain biking exactly. as well. I think so it's you have sort downhill, of, yeah. which is 
as it says, you're going down a hill. That's, that's the a guys lot more dangerous. Of, uh, basically, you know, sponsored by Red Bull. Yes, yeah. no brains. Motorbike yeah. helmet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. full multi. Yeah, that's that's right. That definitely wasn't me. But um, yeah. cross country mountain biking. Yeah, um, and then you've got like enduro and which is a yeah. new newer, yeah. newer thing. Yeah. How, uh, how about you two? Any experience on a mountain bike? Not in any kind of organized fashion. Just as a kid messing around in quarries. That was kind of what got me hooked on cycling in the first place. Uh, so yeah. Similar and, idea, but no, uh, no checkered fact to go. Any for. experience here in the Netherlands? Not on a mountain bike. I've done quite a few mountain bike trails on a cross bike, uh, Squirrel and the uh, um, forest near Utrecht as well. Cannot yeah. remember the name of are it. They, are they decent? Like I brought my mountain bike over here years ago. And yeah. It's still in the shed. The Veloa is, I guess, by Utrecht. That's quite flat. It's fun. You know, you're going to be pedaling through all of it, but it is quite twisty and quite narrow. Squirrel, though, is actually quite, like, the elevation changes are pretty rapid as well. And actually, that's... That comes up quite a lot. Yeah. I've ridden there a a few times. And that's the first I've ever done a mountain bike. I love it. It's really good. Good fun. And it's like, it's not crazy technical, but there's enough there to challenge you for sure. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, chasing people on mountain bikes down Squirrel on a cross bike when you've never been there before was, uh, yeah, a big introduction, but it it was a lot of fun, so. Maybe that's a good way to talk about cross, cyclocross. A lot of people might not know what that is. I think it's sort of maybe a lesser known of of the cycling varieties at the moment or, or certainly outside of this area. Yeah, it really doesn't have much, like, um, it doesn't really get known well at all outside of Benelux and especially out of Belgium and Netherlands. It's getting bigger in the States now, I think, just because it's more accessible. It's not as fast, but it's what actually... What is it? Yeah. It's, so it's credited with creating track BMX racing. So the BMX racing you'll see in the Olympics is actually like a refined form of cyclocross. Started in the Netherlands, I think, after the war, and it's very much racing in the mud. What kind of bike do you use? It's like a road bike with more clearance and... and mountain bike tires basically it's a bit like one of the obstacle course if you ever did tough tough mudder or spartan yeah, or any yeah, of those yeah, races yeah, yeah. it's like you're intended to it's a messy race it's intended yeah. to be messy and you like you're intended to come off the bike right you have to run sections yeah there's... you're going to be running sections there's also literal obstacles that you're going to have to like jump over with the bike not you know you're not going to be climbing anything but you're not going to be able to pedal the whole way it rings of fire and no <laughs> at least not on any of the courses i've been on but you never know you Maybe know in california and, and, and so, uh, sorry in the in the Benelux, they, they have a lot of cyclocross courses going through tents and people are drinking beer and stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah. So tell us, like, how long is a cyclocross course and how long is the race? The, it varies, but probably three to five kilometers, I'd say. And the race is um, an hour. You you hope to do maybe 10 laps in, in that time, which makes it sound like, like that's a, that would be a long way to go on a cross bike in a it's race. It's a lot off-road, you know, 50 kilometers or so. Yeah, and road. honestly, I don't even think you'd normally get above 30 unless you're really, really good because the going is so bad. Uh, it's worth remembering that, like, if you're racing in the men's uh, under 40, you're going last, and that course has already been chopped up by, like, yeah. five races before it. So the pace is really mm-hmm. slow. It's just a mud pit by that point. Yeah, Absolutely. the weather doesn't lend itself to it, right? Because it's soft. Well, it does. <laughs> well, it does for, yeah. Yeah, 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 that's true. But, yeah, it makes it worse for you. So if someone's interested in, in getting involved, what's the kind of local scene like? What's the entryways into cyclocross? Well, it's kind of handy at the moment to be getting into it because of the explosion of gravel. So actually bikes are a lot more accessible than they used to be. It's really easy to get a decent setup bike for it now where you'll have even for probably one and a half thousand euro disc brakes, one bike, good clearance, and you'll already be ready to race on that. It's not a fast paced race, so you're not really going to be in danger. Amsterdam cross competition is, is easy to find on Facebook. It's very easy to sign up for, and there's all sorts of, of skill levels there. So I was a complete beginner when I started last year. 
pretty sure I came last in the first race. Not exactly sure, but it doesn't matter. Like you're, you know, everybody's getting lapped anyway, except for the winners, to be honest. Yep. And it's, it's, I would say anyone who's interested in, in checking it out, just go. Um, we used to have, um, a competitive, Hamish, the ex-president uh, was in the vets category, I think, or yeah, plus 40. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which is not terrible. in any way less difficult than no, the under no, 40. Yeah. competitive, but he was on the podium quite a lot. Um, he was, he was very, um, very into it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a blast. And so when's the uh, when's the first race coming up? If you're assuming it does happen. Yeah, so it runs really from first weekend of October usually, or maybe last of September, all the way through to uh, like pretty much. Um, so you're yeah, it's going to be once a week for for the the months of all of the winter really. Does this mean you're you know as a cyclist, there's not really an off season if you say you do road racing during the the traditional season? Now, no one's really had the season this year, but let's forget that. So you're racing maybe a normal season, April through September. And then if you're doing cross, you're kind of not getting much downtime, right? Absolutely. Um, you might have a month of September really where not too much is going on, but yeah. that is always the question as well with people like Van der Poel and, and Wout Van Aert that like if they did drop the cyclocross, how well would they do if they yeah. did take that full break? Or, or would they? Yeah, exactly. How much does it serve? Because I think from a handling perspective, it teaches you a lot of skills, but also like the physiological demands of just balls to the wall for an hour is really quite different from a six hour stage race or one of the classics, for example, which will be, you know, half of which at least, or maybe even three quarters yeah. is really aerobic, really easy, but they've got, I mean, it shows that they've got the power, they've got the, the engine when they need it. So yeah. I wonder like how much it does serve that. It feels and, and more like them. actually, it feels more like track sprinting or indoor on cycling on an indoor trainer because you can't stop pedaling on a cross bike either because you'll just stop. Um, so that, that is a challenge also that you don't get in road racing where you just yeah. can't take a break ever. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, and, it's and there's question. more risk of injury, I guess, for these, for these Tour de France riders that are doing it in the off season. There's, there's a lot more risk of injury and cyclocross at competitive, at high level, right? Um, I'm not exactly sure. Maybe from things, not from impacts. I don't think you're really going to see people getting injured from falls in cyclocross beyond, right. you know, some cuts and bruises. Um, yeah, yeah, I guess. Cause it's, you'd be lucky to get above 30 kilometers an hour in, in most races. And you're going to fall into mud. Into mud, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Time. Or on right. the grass. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's rare that anybody will really get hurt in cyclocross. So right. I know COVID might change all these things, but I think there's usually quite a lot of spectators down at the races as well. So, I mean, if someone wants to, is interested to get involved or, you know, wants to check it out for the first time, then maybe they should check out the races and get down to the first race, support some of the, the guys that'll be taking, taking part. Maybe they can kind of, see what they're letting themselves in for. They just want to get a sense <laughs> of it don't, before. Or don't. Yeah, just or turn, don't. Yeah, yeah. Turn yeah. up with your bike and go for it. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I'm thinking about having a go a couple yeah. of, and I'm I, like, I've been thinking about it for yeah, years. Yeah, I never do I, it. I, I've never sort of seen a cyclocross race there at the ground level kind of thing. Right. So I, I can kind of like to take a look at it first, just to, you know, like climatize a little bit I, first. I think for you, knowing you, you would go there, see it and, you'd be there the next game week with your 10 euros and your bike ready to do it. I don't think it's certainly not going to put you off. You're going to be like, I can do that. No, I, can I, 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 I can't handle a bike, but that's why I kind <laughs> oh, of yeah, figure, of course, you yeah. know, well, throw myself in at the deep end. Yeah. You will yeah. learn pretty quick. Yeah. I would say like, if you look up the cross competition, you can see the calendar and you can see where they're going to be what week. Yeah. Some of them are, are in Amsterdam, you know, so you wouldn't even have to They're go all far. pretty much within kind of a stone's throw, right? Yeah. The yeah. local sort of, so that's one of the real benefits as well. You don't have to travel ridiculous no. sort of distances to take part in. It's like something out of the sort of places around. So yeah. And <laughs> normally there'll be some opportunities to, to go like, you know, check out the courses before the season starts. Okay. Um, so, you know, reach out to 
uh, you know, Nick or I or anyone else who's going to be doing, who did it last season. And if there are attempts coming up, then that's always a chance to check out what it's going to be like as well. Cool. I was going to move on to just because it's kind of similar, and but like the more, the most niche type of Dutch riding I can think about, surprisingly, Brian Gibson involved in is beach riding. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Which Brian is Gibson. kind of almost somewhere between gravel, cross, yeah. reared bikes with fat tires. I just could not, I couldn't see myself ever trying that. It looks pretty hardcore. I mean, it takes a lot. I think it takes a lot of uh, endurance. Yeah. Uh, Have you ever tried to cycle on sand? No, I, I wouldn't I advise it. Yeah, I mean, you come across when I was mountain biking, you'd come across a sandy part. It's yeah. horrible. It's like two steps forward, one step back kind Pretty of thing. Much. You're just not really getting anywhere, but, you know, it's yeah. horrible. It's just horrible. Any any interest in the beach riding? I mean, it, it would, yeah, it, it's going on in the winter as well. I think if it was the summer, I would be more inclined to try it. Obviously, they need to have the wet sand for it. Um, being on a beach in the winter doesn't really... Fill me with, uh, with motivation. Ca- but. Beach cl- running as well, I find really horrible. You know, as you say, the closest I've got is during the a trail race yeah. uh, up in uh, Schorl uh, each, yeah. each year. So I've done the last couple of 35K in the dunes and quite a lot of elevation. I think about 1,500, maybe 2,000 meters of elevation in the, the run. I've done the 35, I've done but, the shorter ones. Yeah, there's horrible. that horrible section, which is maybe 5K <laughs> along the beach. And it feels like you're going nowhere. And then you see bikes like racing past going nowhere as well. And that, that's the point where you kind of look at yourself and go like, what are why we doing? doing yeah. I, think yeah. that, I think that's why we do it as athletes. You know, you're looking for that challenge of something that's difficult and yeah. you know, it's, it's, I don't think we ever do it cause it's easy, but yeah. Um, yeah. it's an endurance sport, you know, yeah. and the majority of that endurance is, is in your head, you know, hours yeah, three, hours four and being like, I'm far from the finish line here. I got to find a way to keep going. And then Absolutely. the next sort of step on from that, I think, and, and you touched on it there and really exploding in, in sort of interest and popularity at the moment is gravel. Yep. So I, I totally understand why people outside of countries like the Netherlands would have, would take so quickly to it because we're blessed with being able to road cycle really, really safely here. If you live in some other countries, it's either the roads are just super straight and the surfaces are bad, or it just doesn't really feel safe for people. People so, in cars hate you. People in cars hate you. Yeah. You're not exactly a big fan of them either. You know, it, it's, it's doesn't have the kind of positive surroundings that we have. So gravel, on the other hand, you get to just be free to explore a bit more and, and not worry about traffic. What is gravel? I have never heard of it until now. Really? It, yep. It's, um, I could probably make a good guess at what it is, but I'm, 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 I'm eager to hear. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the the term gravel is definitely a, a you know a marketing derived. Let's yeah, call yeah, it. Yeah. Um, it's a loose term. Yeah, it's 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 cycling so, on something that's not okay. a road. Yeah, tell us yeah. about what's a gravel bike look like. Looks a lot like a cross bike, but it's it's more like if you compare an endurance road bike to a really focused race bike, the cross bike would be focus race bike it's quite agile it's it's not necessarily comfortable for long periods whereas a gravel bike would be more relaxed and, and more intended to you know travel for a long time you can also generally fit panniers and stuff on it a lot easier um so yeah, like the adventure biking kind of crossover there isn't there with between gravel and adventure sort of more holidays or or kind of weekend trips a bit of camping there's that world has become much more popular and, and there's a bit of crossover between the two even sure. though there is the racing and the gravel as well yeah, it's for when you don't want to choose between going on the road or going off road. You know, it's it's for when you want to have both. So, but you know, it makes a lot of sense. It's it's something that the limited experience I've had of it has been enjoyable. And 
Yeah, yeah I, I can see why people give more time to it. So I've uh, I recently got a new road bike, and instead what did you of go for? it's uh, the same brand as I had. It's called Radon, which is a German brand, which is very good value for money. Made in the same uh, factory as Canyons. Hold basically. that thought. We might have a question on that. Okay. Yeah. So I, I, I sort of I had quite a cheap or you know basic road bike, uh, and I sort of uh, yeah, decided it was I wanted a decent one, so I kind of. Moved up, got the uh, SRAM axis and, and nice. all that and full carbon gear. So I, I was going to keep my old road bike is basically as, as a winter bike. And I thought, what's the point? So I sold it and bought a secondhand cross bike. And I've been using it up to now just for gravel riding. Uh, out in the, uh, towards the Valua and stuff and all around Hilversum. And it is mind-blowingly cool. Yeah. Like just getting out there. And to be honest, you probably, for, for the areas that I've been going and the routes I've been going, you probably don't even need a full gravel bike to do that. I think you could probably do it on a road bike with probably 28s or something on there. It just changes your experience with the landscape and you get to see different places, I think. Like I just love it for a long ride now. The yeah. only shame is that you probably have to ride about 45 minutes to an hour to get to any gravel. Yeah, really. But the beauty of these bikes is that they're not much slower than a road bike on the tarmac. You know, whereas riding a mountain bike, you'd be at maybe like 15, 20 K an hour with big knobbly tires. You can kind of spin these out to like 25, 30 easily enough to get somewhere and then ride. So yeah, I really recommend either putting some wider tires on your bike and going out and enjoying it or, or like trying a cross bike or, or even a mountain bike on some of the trails, like drive out to them or get a train out to them and, uh, do that but there's some very cool routes around so really really uh recommend that i wouldn't be a cycling podcast or a theme of cycling without talking about the tour de france yep there's no frame or Geraint thomas this year they've been dropped uh, by team Ineos. they're not taking them to the tour de france yeah the whole season's blown open you know everything getting moved and, and some stuff getting cancelled yep. uh, i think the most exciting thing about this season to watch is that there's so many races clashing Date-wise, you can't just put your biggest names on every race now. So the yep. whole squad is going to get used. And unfortunately, because of some injuries and stuff, even more of that squad is now going to see time. So you'll probably see some names appear this year that become a fixture for, for yep. future years. Who do you think is going to win? You know, an air of chaos always seems to follow Sky and now Ineos wherever they go. And I think it's a whole lot of sandbagging. I think you might see uh, the defending champion's current back problems magically yes. cured when he appears yeah. in Nice. Yeah. Don't you think that maybe the fact they're taking Carapath is back up because what he wanted to defend is Giro, right? Yeah, but they do have a history of like super domestiques. True. For example, Geraint Thomas was from Domestique up until he won and the Tour de France. Bernal did it for G the yeah. year earlier, essentially, right? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah, they always have something up their sleeve. I, I don't know. I, I think they probably might. But then them. Uh, Lotto Jumbo Visma, them of the world's ugliest shirts and bike combo. <laughs> That's the f I was going to disagree with you until you said about the combo. And yes, it's a shame. It's two great things that don't seem to work yeah, well that, together. Like, how, how you can do that to that Bianchi Celeste <sighs> is like putting yellow and black on top of it is, uh, yeah. it's a disgrace. <laughs> Money talks, I guess. But they're, but they're going to be, they're up there with Ineos, I think, like this year in terms of the talent. They're, they're, they're sort of the next of the of the, the super teams almost. Yeah, that's been the case. And they were coming into it looking like solid favorites. Um, Roglic right now is recovering from an injury though. So he has a, mm -hmm. he, he potentially won't be quite on form. Um, and then Stephen Krauswijk came really, right. really well last year and, and was always going to be one of their leaders and unfortunately is out from the same race. So, um, yeah, it's blown wide open again now. I think this could be 
the best tour in a long time. For, because I don't think any team's going to be able to like sit and put a train on the front in the it, same way. It's going to be a lot warmer as well, right? So you're six weeks delayed. No, I, I mean, so. potentially. I mean, the last week could be because the last week's all the mountains and it could even be cold by ah, then, which could right, change yeah. the dynamic. Uh, yeah. But now I might struggle with that. <laughs> it's, um, it's a badly kept secret that the race director would love to see a French winner because it hasn't happened since 1985. Yeah, I think that's well known. That, that's... Uh, if I could choose from the heart, Lempino would be... He's done well, but he's plagued by injuries. Um, yep. He actually also had to take time out after a crash in Dauphine as well. Yep. So maybe the rest will actually give him the opportunity he needs now to come in. I also him. wonder whether the lack of big crowds is going to help him because he tends to buckle under that pressure, That's right? True. And he's such he's the, the great French Open... I think that gets he's to him. He's also quite a character as well, yeah. isn't he? He's quite, yeah. quite good in interviews. And I'd love to see him win. That would make me, yeah, very happy. That would make <laughs> me very happy as well. Yeah. His like second in command, director, apparently. <laughs> yeah, apparently he would be very happy about it too. He pretty much built this course for him, same as last. It's year. all in the south, uh, southeast of France, basically. The whole the whole course is really in the south. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even one of the kind of Queen stages finishes right by his hometown. Really? <laughs> um, yeah, Summit finished like right by his hometown in the Vosges. So it's like, yeah, they're lining it up. Yeah. Um, even no team time trial this year, which is quite a change yeah. to try yeah. to stop Ineos from dominating. It's only, is there only one time trial though? Yeah, very yeah. late in the, yeah. in the race though. So it might end up flipping the script a bit. That could be. So then Big Tom, maybe even if he's around at that point. Yeah. If, under the if radar. Can, again, if he can stay out of trouble with, with injuries and stuff for the whole or he'll do well. Well, that's the question, right? So we've had some high profile crashes so far. And we were just talking before we started the pod about, uh, about who was uh, the Dutch rider, Fabio. Jakobsen, yes. Jakobsen. Yeah. And then Evanapool, uh, the obvious sort of big rides, but everyone was going down in the Dauphiné. And then if that kind of carries on through the tour. Yeah, hopefully not. I mean, these are huge crashes. I mean, uh, Fabio's out for a while, if, if back. I mean, they're saying he will come back. Yeah. But, um, I mean, he was in an induced coma. Yeah. Um, it's always a war of attrition in cycling. It's, you know, endurance sports are always meant yeah. to be the, the strongest will kind of remain, but this is not the kind of attrition that I think anybody wanted to see. It's, it's a great shame. Well, let's not go too much into the Tour de France because I think that's for another well, podcast. Well, I think, I think uh, you know, let's, let's go do a round and, and make a pick. I'm going to go for Team Ineos again, but now I, I'm going for him. I think, you know, having that winner, that momentum behind him, he's, there's not going to be any confusion about who the team leader is as there was in previous years. I'm going to go with that. Yeah, Tim? I'd love to say Pino, but I think actually that Danny Martinez of EF Pro Cycling is going to win it. Ah, I'm going to go left field and go for, how do you say it? Pogacar. Pogacar. Mm, Tadic, yeah. Yeah, uh, coming out of nowhere after, I don't know, a bunch of riders crash. Maybe the back injury is, you know, uh, is real. And, and yeah, a few people go down and uh, he'll be there or thereabouts anyway. I think he'll be a, probably a top five. For sure. Anyway, so I think, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he goes. But again, Hart says Pino. So. It's on record now, so we'll see. 20 yeah. euros on it. Sounds good. <laughs> Right, we're going to come to some listener questions. We've got, got quite a lot to get through. Hi, Doug. During the summer, 
Guyo love it. It's all sunny and beautiful. Temperatures are amazing. Tarmac is dry. Bike paths are also super in good shape. But for people that are newer to cycling, how is it going to be during the winter? Uh, what can you expect? Uh, is it possible to ride in windy and wet conditions? And if so, what difference in equipment do you need to have? Do you need to change tires? Do you need to change your, your cycling kit, your cycling gear? Can you guide us through a little bit of keeping on riding during the, during the winter? Or as an alternative, how would it be the change of uh, doing indoor cycling and riding at home? Thank you. That was uh, Adrian. Um, so he's probably used to riding in Spain, right? So how <laughs> yeah, do you cope with the weather then? How, how do you continue to cycle outside? Now I've noticed, uh, you know, when I, in Scotland, you were always cycling in the rain, the wind, it didn't matter. But when I came here, I very quickly got into the Dutch way of road cycling and that is that you tend not to go out in the winter at all. So there's one thing that you can do is just, it's like extremities that make you really feel cold. So if you have good gloves and good shoe covers, then you'll probably be fine most of the time. I think there's there, there's often a bit, I, th- I think from the questions that I see sometimes with attack members is there's a confidence thing. They're not used to riding on slippy or surface, you know, wet surfaces. There was even a question on the WhatsApp group a few months ago about what to do. There's a question of that as well, like how do you get ready for that when you're used to riding on dry, sticky roads? Having hands that aren't numb is definitely going to help a lot with even sure. breaking. Yeah. Not yeah. even being funny, but in the winter, if, if you get caught in the rain, you, you could find yourself with like... I, I second this. So. so my first ride in the Netherlands when I moved here, I guess it was like November, December. And you came from Dubai. To I him. came from Dubai <laughs> and I rode with Hamish and we went out and, and I thought I could layer up based on what I had. I swear it took me about 25 minutes of crying on the front door until a neighbor let me into my house because I couldn't open the door with yep. the keys. And then I just stood in a shower <laughs> for about three hours. Yep. And then I literally kind of went out the next day and bought not crazy expensive, just but just good, warm, windproof. Windproof is the key. Proper, decent cycling jacket and full thermal uh, long, long whatever they're called. Um, tights. Yeah, tights. Um, shows how uh, how often I've worn them since. <laughs> but <laughs> I've got some uh, classic then, attack ones. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and then like a decent pair of covers. Shoe decent couple of, yeah, yeah, decent couple of pairs of gloves as well. I, I'll double up in winter and put some like uh, wool gloves underneath some some yep. kind of more neoprene type things. Uh, obviously, something for the head. And then for me at that point, it becomes more about safety. So then, wet isn't so bad. You're gonna be fine. You're, yeah, you're, just you're don't just, push it. You know, yeah. break, break more than you need to, and it's don't not hit a race corners most of the super time, fast. So. But the rest of the time, you're gonna be fine. Yeah, it's if it gets icy or something, then that's where I rule. Uh, that's where that's when I'm out. Yeah, I yeah. mean, that, when it's icy, there's not much you can do. You're just a passenger at that point, so yeah. you don't want to put yourself in that situation. Yeah. On the clothing, in my experience. And and it's you don't have to go crazy with with this, but certainly for gloves and shoe covers, I would always go for for me it was Gore Tex is always right. the yep. the best uh, fabric I've found that is keeps yeah. you driest longest. I, I think like if, if you're planning on riding in winter and you want to commit to that, just go. I, yeah, it's like it's it's an expensive thing to swallow at one go. Yeah. But go and buy one good thing, like one good set yeah, gloves, of everything. Gloves, yep. yeah. And you're going to get a winter. Well, yeah, yeah. you're going to get five winters out of them, but you're going to yeah. be able to ride all winter. There's ma- there's many other jackets and things you can do. You don't have to go crazy on Gore-Tex for everything. No, no. Certainly gloves and shoe covers are quite an affordable way to keep yourself dry. I've never found a waterproof tight that I'm comfortable wearing cycling. I don't think, so, I don't think. Like it exists, does it? 
I think that's a wetsuit, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. And even Maybe then, that's a backup. <laughs> yeah. So don't don't waste yeah. your time trying to find it, I would say, because you ain't going to find it. Secondly, uh, you want to get a pair of clear glasses, otherwise you're going to end up with a very muddy face. Yeah, yeah. especially if you're in a group. Yeah. And all these things just let you stay focused and comfortable, and that's when you're not going to yeah. slip yeah. up then, you know? Yeah. Okay, so Adrian, get some good clothes. You're and also, you know what? Like, embrace the indoor riding. It's not necessarily uh, a weather problem. It's a lack of light. Yeah. And because obviously, obviously your day gets a much shorter. You can't go out after work. Really, it's already dark. So you're kind of yeah, limited to like weekend riding anyway. Yeah. You know, that's and something I was going to mention actually is we're a bit lucky this year that we're all able to choose our hours a bit more. If you can like use your lunch break to go for a training ride, then I think that might be the way around that. Yeah. Or yeah. go like nine, 10, you know, go for, if in you're able morning. to move your calls and yeah. do a, a, a kind of a couple of hours in the morning instead, yeah. and then, and then sort of uh, work a couple of hours later then I think that's going to be a good way of using that time for sure. Okay, second question. This came in, I think, via WhatsApp from Erwin. How do I finally get fast enough not to be dropped on so-called intermediate rides? Well, the obvious answer to that is to try to hang off the back until you don't get dropped anymore. <laughs> I um, don't think that's the answer that's going to cut it for him. Yeah, that's that's definitely a part of it, though, is just keep trying. Go. You, you have to push beyond what you're capable of to, to grow, you know. I, but beyond that, I think even Zwift has, has training plans in it. Trainer Road has fantastic training yeah. plans in it. And Great. indoor trainers are not that hard to come by anymore. They do Actually, in COVID, they were very difficult to come by. They That's were like true. rocking horse shit. You just <laughs> could not see them anywhere. I'd also say, if you do do an intermediate ride, don't pull. Don't yeah. ride anywhere except in the middle of the group. Yeah, yeah. I think... Wait. Don't don't ever be at the front. Don't take any wind. Even yeah. if you're feeling great at the beginning, don't do that. One, but don't ride yeah. at the back because you're always getting concertinaed further and further out. Yeah. So yeah. always stay in the middle of the group. You're going to find it a lot easier. I know a lot of people ride in the group and feel kind of pressured to take a turn or they feel great for the first two hours of a three-hour ride. And, you know, you feel good till you don't, really. Yeah. And then I, that's where you're getting dropped because you're just bonking. Yeah. Then also make sure you're not bonking like make sure you're keeping energy coming you know you're fueling your yeah or you've uh liquid gurnium but the other thing i say like well it's probably 30k an hour uh, an intermediate ride go out and like cut it up into pieces so if a ride's three hours go out and ride four times half an hour at 30k an hour break it down into small things and the next time that you come to put that together you're going to find it a lot easier i think tim you met you alluded to this so you can turn up to the intermediate ride every week and you might do well some weeks you might get spied but i think try to get something else in maybe during the week a turbo session or something just a, a little something or, or one of your half hour sessions or yep. something just to sort of complement it and then help build a little bit so that when you come to the next intermediate ride, hopefully the next game week, you've got that little bit more endurance or, or stamina to go with it. And yeah. I think it's very important not to do a, a, a stint on the front and don't feel obligated. I think you do feel obligated when two people peel off and you have to come through, just peel off, just just go with well, them. Tell the just group at the beginning, just say, hey guys, I, yeah. I, I've been spat out the last few weeks. I'm going to stay in the middle of the group today. If you yeah. see me, you know, move around me, just yeah. tell people, yeah. everyone, everyone's been there, yeah. you know, so. And I think one, thing it's probably not applicable here but it was really applicable for me when i was actually racing of all things and that is if you're coming up up to a hill try and get yourself to the front of the group because mm. chances are you're Sack going line. to get spat out and 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 if you're at the front of the group and you drop back you drop back you drop back you get to the top of the hill you're at the back that's a lot better than starting at the back and then you're back, you're off the group, you're further off the group, and then you're gone. So yeah. i don't think it's applicable here but you know maybe another, but it's kind of like not being off on the back though because some yeah. beginners will think that that's where they belong is at the back of the group. But yeah. 
every time there's a, a corner, every time there's a breaking, like that gap gets bigger and bigger. Exactly. And, and you're, you have to find more. You have to dig yeah, deeper. Yeah, you're always doing these little mini accelerations yeah. to get exactly. back into the group. Yeah. And that gets bigger, the bigger the group and the bigger, the further, so the gap gets bigger, the further back you get. Yep. So make sure you're like right in the middle. That's where you need to be. Yep. And don't be afraid of being pretty close to the wheel in front of you because you want to be drafting as much as possible at that point. You want to yeah. be getting as much of a pull as you can. Cover the brakes as well. You know, a lot of people yeah. are a bit worried about being so close. Just cover the brakes, keep your hands over the hoods, you know, so you can yeah. brake and then you can get that little bit closer. And that's a confidence thing, right? So riding groups more. Yeah. Really? Well, yeah, yep. and stay consistent. You know, like if you're going, like putting a high effort in to stay on the group and then trying to rest and then putting in another high effort, it's it's really hard. And if you start doing intervals, you learn pretty quickly, okay, I just have to stay consistent. Yeah, yeah. It'll feel easy at first and it'll feel harder as, as the interval goes on. Yeah. yeah. Um, it shouldn't feel really hard straight away. So yeah, yeah just be smooth and also easy. I think that's a good, like if you want to get faster at anything, do more intervals, yeah. basically, whether that's indoor on a trainer or, or outside now, you can still apply an interval, like find a straight piece of road that you know you're not going to get stopped on yeah. and then apply the same principles on, on that essentially or, or on a normal ride where you're going, you know, just be like five minutes on, five minutes off, whatever it is. But to get faster, you have to ride faster. Okay, Erwin, there you go. And nutrition as well. Make sure you have your nutrition. So we have uh, another question from Jesper. Hey guys, wonderful podcast uh, from you guys. I really enjoyed listening to the last two. So I'd really love to to learn more about how you can best transition from, from swimming to cycling. What's your experience in that regard and how could you make the most out of your swimming exercise whilst also starting off well in, in cycling. I think that's one element that I'd really be interested in. And secondly, when it comes to biking, just a more general question, how do you really get better at it? Is it really a matter of putting in the hours or is it about different kind of training methods with, with intervals or what have you? That that would be interesting as well, secondly. And then thirdly, yeah, it'd be interesting to learn a little bit more about what to look for when you're, you know, when you're basically looking for your second bike. I started off four years ago with a, with a, with a beginner's bike, thousand euros. What to look for in, in a slightly more um, advanced model. So that's Jesper from uh, from Amsterdam here and. Um, yeah, recently joined. So, um, yeah, looking forward to the next one. Thanks. So we've got three questions here. One of we just answered with the previous one, actually. Yeah. So I think, what Matt, maybe your best, this is what you were a swimmer before yeah. you were a triathlete or a, or a cyclist mm-hmm. or anything, right? So first question is how can you, and he's talking about transitioning in terms of the sport. He's not talking about in a triathlon. Yeah, yeah, so, he's talking about, so I'm guessing he's maybe came from a swimming yeah. background and he's now, you know, moving into cycling. So how how go about that? Firstly, you can have a decent engine aerobically, which is great, but it can also be a problem in that you might want to push beyond what you're capable of pushing. So what I found early days is that I was essentially maxing my muscles out because aerobically I was way stronger than my body would allow me to be. And swimming, even though your heart rates are pretty low compared to biking and running, it's such an an aerobic builder. You're going to, like, if you've got any background in swimming, you're going to be aerobically very, very, very strong compared to like someone who's off the sofa and, and on a bike, they can have a kind of almost a natural limiter of just being like breathing out their ass essentially, uh, pretty right, early on. That explains a lot. Yeah. So what I'd say is like start quite slowly, build some endurance first. In, and how would on, you do that? Just go out and put some miles in? Just put a load of miles in. Yeah. Uh, all, At a low, I, low intensity. I think so, yeah, because you... 
essentially then you kind of build in the muscles at a, a more sort of tolerable pace. Yeah. And then because we don't have hills here, I do some really specific big gear work. Ideally, you would want hills. To, to start to get very, um, like to, to build that strength in the muscles, but in a cycling specific way, because you can't do that. Again, intervals, like what we were talking about before, but instead of just applying a normal interval, whack the bike into a really big gear and, and you should be your cadence, whereas in like normally 90 is the, you know, the guidance. I'd say even as, as low as 50, maybe take your time to get there, start around 70, then go down to 60, then down to, down to 50. You're turning the effort from an aerobic effort into a muscular effort at that point. And that's what you're looking for. Yep. And then don't be afraid of the gym as well. Like doing some leg work is going to help. Strength. Yeah. But ultimately ride your bike more. Yeah. yeah. It's not worth worrying about cadence per se, but no. if you are coming from a very aerobic sport, it's probably worth seeing how a cadence you can spin because that's going to be where you're making the most of your physiology. Yeah. I think doing a lot of the drills as well, just to bring that in. So even, you know, the first 10, 20 minutes of a ride, maybe you want to split it up and do, whether it's like indoor or outdoor, you can do some single foot stuff. You can also do some really fast spinning, uh, like 30 seconds, sort of 120, 130 even. But then for those long sessions, for me at least, and for other swimmers I've, I've met, you're never, you're very rarely maxing out your, your heart rate. So I still like, uh, a, a sort of Ironman distance. I'm, I'm struggling to get over 130 beats a minute for my heart rate. But it's a muscular effort, so it's, so it's my body that's giving up up at that point. So that's that's probably where you're going to find yourself. So okay. yeah, yeah, Head that's, are that's a good alternative to hills. Actually, what was uh, that? Headwinds when, are a good yeah, alternative yeah. to hills for for big gear. Work. Dutch hills, yeah, definitely for big gear. Like find again, like find that road which is into a, a straight headwind. Yep. Do intervals that way. Whack into a big gear. Hit the headwind. It's going to be like a hill, and then turn around, spin back nice and easy to the start. It's going to be like a little recovery and do it again. Yep. This um, is the, the toggle session that you had on my plan to do that I'd done tonight. It was this yeah. big gear it's great. It's again, horrible. Wasn't it great? Great, it was on, horrible. <laughs> great on the turbo trainer. <laughs> like, it works really well for that as well. So yeah, get, get your big gear work in there. Okay. And then what to look for when buying your secondhand bike. Now th this is it's quite an open question. I mean, it depends on the individual and this is something that I, I probably would have had a better answer for years ago, but it's been a while since I was, I was buying a bike. But one thing that I was always sort of taught is, is if it's secondhand is look at, is it a good frame? Cause you can upgrade a lot of the other parts as, as you go on. So if you're buying secondhand, you, you, you can get a really good frame and maybe the components are not what you'd like, but you can work into to work up to a better componentry. But I, I don't know how that is these days. I mean, that, that was years ago. There might be better. You might have a different different answer to that. I'd almost go the opposite way. What do you think? To that? If I was riding like a 105s or something now, I'd be then saying like looking at Altagro. If I'm riding like a Sara or a Tiagra or something, getting 105. So I would be... That would probably be one of the things I'd be looking for. A basic like thousand euro aluminium frame versus let's say a, a 2000 euro carbon frame. So nothing, you know, we're not talking like a super bike here, but like a, yep. a step up. You're not going to notice massively the difference. It doesn't change your it, riding sort of overnight. Whereas I think yeah. actually better braking and shifting is quite a, a noticeable change. And it's something off your off your shoulders if it's reliable, right? Yeah. You know, if you, if you, if you don't have to do any maintenance on that. So I guess yeah. that's... What did you um, say to him? I think anytime you're going to buy a bike, the first place to start is, is fit. Like it, sure, narrow down to size. the list of what's going to fit well and, and make your selection from there. Even if something looks really good on paper and has really good reviews, if you can't get it in a size that's good for you, then yeah, it's don't, not. Don't get emotionally attached to the bike, you know. Before so you've it, bought it. After yeah. you've bought it, then please go ahead. And yeah. don't, don't <laughs> choose on colour. 
Yeah, no, but I mean, yeah. you could start to say, well, you know, a couple of centimetres here, yeah. but that makes a huge difference. And, and you're yeah. going to notice it in the longer rides for sure. Uh, yeah, and, and at some point you'll, you'll borrow a bike that's the right size and you'll kick yourself for not having yep. put that effort in at the start. Yep. Um, once that's happened, then I'd say, yeah, you know, at a certain point, group sets really do make a difference. Altegra upwards is, is all pretty good. Yeah. As for aluminium versus carbon frames, it's, it's mostly a snobbery thing, but carbon frames are more comfortable over long distance. It's a lot more like smooth, right? It, it, I'd say if you were, so my, my previous bike I was talking about was a, a aluminium frame, but it had carbon forks and carbon seat post. Yeah. So that made a big difference in dampening a lot of that, but I was, I wasn't racing it. It was very much a kind of workhorse kind of bike. Whereas this one, I, I can tell the difference. I can yeah. feel it. Like, it, you know, it's it's just more comfortable and a little bit more compliant, a little stiffer. But I mean, it, I'd almost say like, what have you got now? How can you move? So if it's aluminium frame, do you want a carbon frame? Like if you've got 105, go up to Altegra. If, I mean, depends what kind of racing or what kind of riding you do. If you plan on going the hills a load, then maybe you want to get disc brakes instead yeah. of rim brakes. Like look at the type of riding you want to do and then move like If you want to do a load of racing or you're looking at doing your first triathlons, maybe it's even worth looking at not so big a step up in terms of the bike, but getting some decent wheels uh, with it instead. So yeah. kind of look at what the purpose of the bike is. Yeah. And what then, and, yeah, exactly. And what then should sort of, one look out for? So when you buy a new car, you kick the tires and you, you start it and you say, that's great. Like buying a secondhand bike, what, what do you do? Well, I would always say most bikes, even new, will not come with wheels that do the rest of the bike justice. Wheels have a bigger impact than anything else on, on how it actually is. So leave some space in the budget unless it clearly already has but a good w- set of wheels. But what are you looking for in a second-hand bike that might be a problem? So I remember looking at a pair of wheels 10, yeah. 10 years ago, um, but they were worn down big time. Mm. And you might not know to look at that. So are you looking at the rims? I mean, what should someone be looking at to, to see, is this worth it, whatever they're being asked to pay? I would say it's hard to disguise problems too much in terms of overuse. Like visually, you should be able to tell if something's been overused. It's just yeah. going to have a lot of wear. And being well-maintained as well. I think you can tell as well. Like, when yeah. it's looked after their bike. Yeah. Does it have a lot of scratches in the paint? Yeah. Does it yeah. have like scuffs on where, where the handlebars have hit yeah. the ground, that kind of thing? Yeah. Um, that, that tells you a lot. And then apart from that, probably always just worth seeing if it makes any strange noises, yeah. you know? Yeah, I think there's yeah. things you would expect and things you want. So I think as you say, scratches on any of the contact points if a bike was on the ground. Especially signs, for carbon fiber. Signs of a spill, yeah. And, and but you know, wearing on the crank arms is perfectly normal with the... Um, the shoe or whatever yeah. is, is, is rubbing past that. Yeah. I'd so say like, you want to make sure that you do a decent like 10 minute ride on it as well. Yeah. If it's a second hand yeah. step of not just stepping on it, but go around. And mm. like you said, like the same as a frame, but I think problems with uh, shifting and, and braking, they're kind of hard to half ass. Like they, it works or it doesn't. So if you ride a little bit on it and you, you know, you really hammer on the brakes a few times and you yeah. make sure you, you move through every gear on, yeah, on sure. the cassette and on the, on the, uh, on the front as well, those tend to either be functional or not almost. And yeah. if you're getting those noises and stuff, then, yeah. you know, that, that might be raising a question at that yeah, point. I think put it, put it in a big gear and, and pedal and listen for, you know, cranks uh, and uh, bottom bracket kind of clicks and noises yeah. that might happen. I think there's chain, also chain slipping. be aware of the things which aren't important. So like worn tires, like it's a cheap yeah. thing to replace. Grip tape also, the Grip bar tape, tape yeah. Uh, pedals, you know, like they might be things where you think, well, they're a bit worn out and you might sort of impact your view of the bike. But actually they're, they're really pretty cheap fixes. Mm. A saddle, you know, that like you could, that you 
might want to get a different saddle anyway, or like I take my saddle from bike to bike religiously, you know, like, um, although if all these things are needing done, okay, we've got uh, a question from uh, Renee and, and I think she's in Australia now. She used to be a member of the club. Um, DI2 or not? You know, electronic shifting or not? Well, if you're going to buy a new bike now, then the prices are pretty good. Like you don't have to pay too much of a, of a add-on to get the electronic shifting. What's the advantages? It should be more precise. So like, especially if you're racing, doing crits and stuff, you should just be able to hit the button and it's going to find the next And gear. self-indexing as well. So you should yeah. have to make adjustments when so cables The other thing is I've now got the SRAM axis now, so there's no cable. So you haven't got any issues yep, in that sense. Too. So uh, You do have to charge the batteries. You do have to charge the batteries. You have to remember to charge the battery, yeah. which is... Uh, and the one thing you forget is when you really need it, so so be prepared. Yeah. But yeah, I yeah. think, I mean, first generation one was almost 10 years ago and they were fraught with problems. They were using them in the Tour de France and things, but so, now there's so many generations. Yeah, my answer for this would be twofold. If you're on a tri-bike, I'd say absolutely 100% worth it because then you can change from both positions. Or on yeah. a, if you're a TT racer, you've got the opportunity to change from both your you know, from your base bar and from out front, which just makes such a difference. So I think it's definitely worth it. And like you said, the price has come down now and they've also shifted down in the range, right? So uh, I think it's really important. I think if you're just starting out cycling, it's absolutely not necessary. As you move up and you're maybe getting into a bit more serious, like, eh, I'd focus on a good bike and a good a good group set first before yep. worrying about the shifting. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I agree. It shouldn't be a, a beginner thing, you know, if yeah. there's better ways to spend your money if money if budget is a problem yeah. um, I'm still using cables but my next bike for sure will be uh, will be electronic but that's been years and years and I've known about it and it's been within my reach for you know 5-10 years but I really wanted it to, to iron out all the original problems and they seem to be, to be it's getting to that pretty point good now, now so, yeah. Uh, yeah and and more affordable which is good okay we have a, a question so this, this is from one of the founding fathers uh, who a lot of people might not know and um, he was responsible for starting what was the Wednesday night ride. What is it now? Is it the Tuesday night ride or the Thursday? It's now the Thursday night ride, actually. It's now the Thursday it's night ride. It's been all ride. the nights. It has. It was Tuesday at one point. And he started that. It was meant to be a training sort of chain gang. You know, you come along, you all help each other. And within the first one, it became what I called the Hunger Games. Every man out for themselves and just out to prove each other. But Nick uh, told me it's changed a lot. And people are, you know, it is more of a training ride and people wait for each other and stuff. So anyway, this is from Ian. Um, who who was uh, found one of the founding members of the club? Hey Neil, this is Ian. I have a question for you. You made an interesting point last week about liking Lance Armstrong. Now the reason I think it's interesting is because there's a lot of people out there who thinks he's an arse. So can Lance Armstrong be forgiven? in the world of cycling. Very controversial. Now, I'm going to go straight out there, but I've already put my, put my cards on the, the table, table with yeah. this Him one. Him as well, yeah. really, earlier on. I'm, well, I'm uh, a fan. I see, yeah, he's, he's done wrong. He's done a crime. He's, he's been banned from cycling for life. That's fine. I'm okay with that. And, and I think... Everyone can look at it a different way, but I think they were all doing it. That that that's it. But I'm I'm a fan of Lance Armstrong. Not a fan. Not the fan of the way that he treated people going through with what he did. But at the end of the day, I think a phenomenal cyclist. Can't take that away from him as much as people will. And he is a seven times Tour de France winner. That's my opinion on the table. Boom. Yeah, there's no doubt that he has a personality that. You know, he's a pretty caustic person. Like, uh, if you see his exchanges with reporters, he's not the nicest guy in the world. 
you can't really be a nice guy, I think, and, and be at the top level of support of a, of a sport like that. But, you know, for example, the winner of the European Road Cycling Championships this year is racing for a team NTT that is, uh, you know, one of the people racing against Lance Armstrong, who, you know, admitted in the past to doping, is the owner of that team. So if they're still able is to that? be... I believe it is Jan Ulrich. Let me uh, yeah, check. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the owner of NTT raced against Lance and they were both doped up to the hilt. So uh, I think everyone was in the top 20 at Absolutely. That point, Everybody yeah. in the tour, even people yeah. who weren't making it onto the tour were, were doped up at the time. It was completely through the yeah. sport. So to have one person have their medals taken away and have another person still be involved in the yeah. sport is a bit crazy. Yeah, I think yeah, I think I'm agreed. There's no doubts about the way he treated people is is not on. Yeah, that, that's where my problem lies. Although from the sporting perspective, everyone's like the, the argument of like everyone was doing it. Apparently, yeah, because he actually naturally has very low hematocrit levels, so yeah, he was okay. able to boost and get more of a benefit than someone who had naturally high. There's actually I heard a story about one racer who had to they had to sort of liquid or like what would be the like scale down his blood plasma because it went over the fifty levels and they were so worried about him getting him getting uh, caught at one point that he was naturally that high. Or, I mean if you believe him he was naturally that high <laughs> but the fact that yeah the, the UCI rules at that point were no hematocrit levels over yeah. 50 right so uh, and so that meant if you were a 46 you only had a window of four to improve if you were a 36 which apparently was about where Lance Armstrong was you had 14. So he had potentially more benefit from, from yep. drugs. Incidentally, there was a, I was listening to something recently where they pretty much disproved the effect of EPO. So they think it was actually the, either the cocktail of everything or the other drugs had more of an effect and, and the blood bagging had more of an effect than the EPO did. I sort yeah, of believe that if he, if he, if no one done it at that time, I think he would have won. I mean, I'm, I'm a fanboy, so I would say that, right? I, I, I think for me, the problem lies in, in the, the personality yeah, and the treatment of people but, you but i can also say that i like i listen to the move his podcast and i can see say he's entertaining he's an interesting personality he has amazing insight into the world of cycling and yeah. he's an ass yeah. yeah he can be all these things <laughs> the, you know the, the move is brilliant yeah. when the tour de france is on with uh johan Bruneau, who was his uh shall we say co-conspirator yeah. i don't know <laughs> they were but, all, but again uh, like amazing, amazing insight. insight unbelievable like, almost everything he says comes to uh, like, he just was the director sportif of all are, the teams. you can be guilty and still be knowledgeable Yep. Those two things yeah, can coexist, true. right? Yeah. You can be an arse and still be interesting. Yeah, that's true. In fact, most Absolutely. most uh, most interesting people are. He, he also put a um, hundred thousand dollars into Uber when it was valued. That's right. That's where all his money came from, right? <laughs> so he's done pretty well out of uh, out of having to pay so much out. But anyway, okay. And last question, right? This is an anonymous tip off. It's came in on behalf of Tom Beving. And the, the question is, you know, maybe Tom didn't want to ask this himself, but how do you balance the aerodynamic benefits of shaving your legs with the desire to look cool to your non-triathlete girlfriend? Asking for a friend. In the <laughs> now, <laughs> so this question came in on behalf of Tom. From his girlfriend. <laughs> it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't. Do you, know, I, do you know what I did think? I did think we should phone the person that put this question in live on the podcast, but I thought maybe we maybe we shouldn't do that. It could be a bit cruel. Maybe next time. But anyway, right, so, how you know, shaving your legs. What is it? I mean, let's just debunk this immediately, right? I, I think I've seen it throughout the years. Everyone has different reasons for, for why 
cyclist shave their legs. And I, I'm going to tell you the truth. And whether you believe it or not, you know, it, this is the only version of the truth. So <laughs> cyclists should shave their legs because pro cyclists get massages after after events and it's less painful to get a massage with no hair. Also, if they fall and they have a, a cut or an injury... Less infection, the, less risk of infection. They'll come along, yeah. they'll slap some Vaseline or something on it, you know, close the wound very quickly. It'll allow you to do the, the remaining couple hours and then sort it out later on. That <laughs> is the truth. There is no other truth. It doesn't make you more aerodynamic and that is uh, licensed as of Neil Smith today. Any opinions on that guy? <laughs> I mean, that, I'm, I'm being a bit, you know, joking about there, but they're... they're, um, they're so so they're I'm a, a pre-big race leg shaver, only for big races. Right. And you are missing one key element. It does make you faster because you feel faster. Ah, ah placebo Can't effect. I with that. Yeah. Placebo effect. I wouldn't know because I've never done it in all my years of cycling. Neither have I. Um, I guess your big races are triathlons. I feel like for yeah. swimming, it's probably more impactful to Well, shave. you're wearing a wetsuit. Uh, most of the time <laughs> you're not helping yourself here yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was trying to give you an easy I'm not an apologist like, I'll, I'll, I'll put my hands up and say like, I, I think that's I a think, very good point I think there are about five placebo effects yeah. which all add up to something real but I don't, I don't think it's time necessarily it might be feeling faster it might be the road rash thing the whatever blah 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 yeah <laughs> just, it might just be the feel of getting into Nice set of sheets. Yeah, <laughs> it could be. Yeah. I don't know where this is going. And then not knowing yeah. whose legs it is. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. It, could, it could be that. Well, that came in uh, anonymously. So, Roderick, we're not going to name uh, you for for, uh, for for asking that question for on behalf <laughs> of Tom. Right, um, that, that's us. So, al- almost at the end, a quick, I was having a quick look. We've got, Tim, we've got your Strava open. I sometimes like to compare. Uh-huh. how your Strava compares to mine. It's always a bit of a laugh, this. So in the last four weeks, right, you've done an average of four rides a week? Yeah, sounds about right. 205 kilometres. Uh, lower than usual, actually. Oh. It, in, excuses are already, but... <laughs> but, you know, almost seven hours. So that compares to my two rides a week uh, average in 70 kilometres uh, and, and four hours. So that's good. This year you've done... Do you want to take a guess? Oh, you probably know this. You're probably checking it now. Not I mean, sure for the year, done. actually. I'd say, considering that's literally all that we had to do in the <laughs> Netherlands for a good four or five months, I'd, I'd say it was probably at least 6,000 kilometers. Ah, you've been checking. It's almost seven, 6,800 no to my 1,200. But, you know, I've been, I've been doing lots of swimming, right? <laughs> I've not really. Um, <laughs> and your all-time distance is 22,500 kilometers. I wonder that's how impressive. far I could get if that was in a straight line. Biggest okay. ride, 402 kilometers. Was that in the Attack the Sun? Did you take part of that? Yeah, uh, yeah. That was nice. first and last time. <laughs> it was a blast but you'll um, be there next year I'm sure if, if it's going to be next year I'd probably find myself there again <laughs> how did you find it it was Four, so good what is it 402 402 did I, you think you'd get to 400 I mean you could round that up to 403 you know, I thought that would be like enough and then kudos to, to Nick Mircha they, they've continued even further and uh did you listen to his story? It was really quite funny. They bumped into each other uh, just towards the end, didn't they? Oh, that was with uh, Tiago. Oh, Tiago, yes, yeah, so it wasn't the uh, right. Carefully hiding the screen of the garment. <laughs> That's what I thought, yeah. I know you're looking over at the other person. And, uh... <laughs> you would be doing that, right? Well, congrats anyway. I think that's some great stats. I mean, yeah. 22 and a half thousand all time. So that's it's almost at the end. So we always end with what we're reading, what we're listening to, what we're doing, what inspiration we're drawing. So I'll go, and I'm reading a book called The Algebra of Happiness by Professor Galloway. He's a good, he's a good business pundit, but he wrote a book because he's basically a miserable get, and he wanted to be happier, and it's called Algebra of Happiness, and it's quite good. So 
so worth, worth a read. And I'm always listening to uh, The Move, which will be coming on with the Tour de France, which starts uh, at the weekend. No, next weekend. No, it's this weekend. Saturday, the Tour de France. Weekend. 29th, yeah. Yeah, it'll be Saturday. So Lance Armstrong, The Move podcast, love him or hate him. Great podcast, great insights, and lets you see all the stuff that you wouldn't usually see from, say, television commentary because he's banned from everything to do with cycling. Right. But they can't ban him from his own podcast. Matt, what are you reading or what, where are you drawing So similar to uh, the Eurosport, uh, Bradley Wiggins podcast is really good. Enjoy that. And again, gives a similar level of insight into either sort of like what's going on within the peloton, what thing, what teams will be thinking, what riders will be thinking going into all the stages. So that's good. And for reading, I'm not reading now, but I thought I'd do a cycling read now. I've sort of... Went through some periods of reading quite a lot of like uh, autobiographies and, and stuff. And I think probably the best of those for me was the David Miller, Racing Through the Darkness. There's uh, an ex-doper as well. Also an ex-doper. Yeah. You could look at it as a very long, not my fault, but it's, it's actually really interesting. <laughs> he's he's, he's an interesting, interesting guy. guy yeah. And I think yeah. it's a... You know, it's an interesting read for probably different reasons from a lot of the other kind yeah. of not my fault books. That, he also uh, has very interesting views on people that dope as well. So it's, it's a very that, that's where a lot of it is because he's yeah. very vocal yeah. uh, and yeah. anti-doping yeah. advocate. Can you be an advocate for anti something? I guess so. I guess you can. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so that'd be the recommendation. Reading anything? Any cool podcast that everyone needs to know about? Other than Attack the Pod, Matt Fitzgerald of Racing Weight fame has a book called How Bad Do You Want It, which is mm -hmm. absolutely fantastic. I'm about halfway through that now. and It's like a collection of stories of, of athletes who kind of went through some kind of adversity. That's a fantastic read. Does he feature Lance? No, it doesn't. I imagine. Leave, leave Lance yeah, alone. I Come on. I you know, you well, know, he went through it, yeah. <laughs> you know, I met Lance. I've, there's a picture of me and him floating around somewhere. It might be on my Facebook or something, but yeah, I'm, oh, I'm a fan. I didn't him. hear him talk about the opposite, that meeting on his podcast. Yeah, you haven't <laughs> <spoken> yet. <laughs> Not yet. That's my goal for the move. I'm going to try and get, get featured on it just so yeah. that you can say, remember that time? <laughs> Ah, nice. Um, okay. Other than that, actually, uh, a very, like, he, he's a loudmouth and he's not really that well, um, like, he doesn't have that many insights, but he is very entertaining for the upcoming races, is Lantern Rouge on mm -hmm. YouTube. Um, Aussie Pundit, he's, yeah, he's not in any way involved with pro cycling, but he does have very interesting opinions. So. I don't know that The one. Lantern Rouge is a term very commonly used in the Tour de France peloton, isn't it? Yeah, it's um, a funny bit of history. I guess, where the last position would get mentioned in the papers. So there was a pretty intense battle to be yeah. last, but yeah. not not after the broom wagon. Yeah, so the broom wagon is what comes and sweeps, it's called that because it sweeps up. If you're not within the time limit, you get taken off the off the race, basically. And so it's called the broom wagon because it's, the, it's, it's driving at the time, uh, the cutoff time. So if it gets, gets past you, you're out of the race. Okay, on that, we're done. Thank you. Until next time. Cheers. Subscribe, rate, and review Attack the Pod wherever you listen to podcasts. Find show notes and links on attack-club.nl and leave comments, questions, and suggestions on Instagram at attack.club. Happy training and racing.